0: We'll be just on verses 24 and 25. I put in your notes uh, verse 22 uh, through 25. Um, this is the close of a section in Romans, the first kind of big section in Romans that deals with uh, what we would call in theology justification. How is a person uh, made right before God And so uh, it's, the, it's the right way for a Christian to start their life. It's how a, a believer becomes a mature believer. And so you'll see when we get to chapter 5 next week that chapter 5 starts with, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, I, I want to stress that, that when we close this section in chapter 4, that it is the context of all of the promises in the rest of Romans. So you know that Christians and other people like putting a little verse on their mug or the one cross-stitched. My favorite, of course, you know, is the one that they put over the nursery, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? Taken out of context, of course. Uh, All of the promises that we get in Romans are now given to the people described in chapter 4. All right, so it's vital that we get this before we get to how to have a better marriage, before we get to how to raise my kids, uh, before we get to how is God going to heal me or how am I supposed to use His law? Before we get to any of that stuff, we have to be grounded in the truth of justification. And so the apostle brings it to this fine point. What I love about this section is you don't get a sense that the apostle is uh, trying to answer his critics. He does that in other letters, but you don't really get that here in Romans. Or that he's just trying to win an argument or get his point across. What you get in these words is the sense that the apostle is saying, oh, you who read this, not just now, but you who read this a thousand years from now, if Christ's return if, he, if, if he's not here, I, I want you to be saved. <laughs> I want you to have this beautiful gift of justification, this beautiful gift of salvation. I'm writing these things to you, but they're not just for you. In fact, that's what he'll say in the text. Um, so there's this summary, the first section, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Uh, who suppress all the knowledge of God. And then he goes to, but, but, but the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it. It's the righteousness of God. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. Um, Romans chapter 4, let's go to verse 22. Uh, stand for the reading of God's word if you're able. that is why his faith he's talking about he's connecting this to abraham so uh, a couple of weeks ago we looked at all that abraham did and we, we looked at what abraham did really as uh, bearing witness to what he believed all of his actions and his works uh, it was bearing witness to what he believes um, but then he says the apostle says but but it has to be on faith otherwise there's no grace so that, that's kind of the context. If, if our salvation wasn't based on faith, then our salvation is not all of grace. It might be some of grace and some of our works. But he says, no, it has to be. So uh, that's, where we, that's the context here. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. It's quoted. It's quoting the Old Testament. Uh, but the words, verse 23, it was counted to him. We're not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All right, can you see these words on the screen? Everybody, repeat this after me. See a verse 24, but for ours also. Let's just say that together, starting with it will be counted. Are you ready? One, two, three... It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. When I started my first semester at Covenant Seminary, there were some wonderful things. Uh, we got a syllabus. I hated the syllabus. You know why I hated the syllabus? Because it listed all the assignments for the whole semester. It's not like I could get done on a Friday and like, dude, I'm good. No, no, no. There's a paper due in a couple of weeks and I don't know how to write papers. I hated syllabuses. I couldn't rest till the end of the semester. It was always looming. I've got to read 50 pages of this book. Um, I've got to... Um, anyway, the second thing that was there was the, the nice professors, they, they put how your grade would be tabulated, right? 10% on class attendance. I definitely needed that 10%. 50% on assignments, readings, papers. 40% on exams, right? Uh, When I was in college, especially when I was finishing up at night, um, I was pretty busy, and um, the syllabus at college, one of the professors put, um, 10% of your grade is on attendance, and um, you'll be docked if you miss more than two. Every single class. Guess how many I missed? Two. <laughs> I was like, he put that. In, I'm sorry, students. I'm not saying do what I do, okay? I made it here by the grace of God. But, but each class, I was in a block. Each class met for five weeks. I, I could miss two, so I missed two. Here's the point I wanted to know what counted. Right? You look at it, what counts? I'm going to tell you that as a, as a human being, not just as a Christian, but as a human being, that's maybe the most important question for you to settle in your mind, in your heart. The answer to that question defines who you'll be, who you'll be with, what you'll do, what you'll do with what you have, how you'll respond. What counts? I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's all throughout the scriptures. Uh, look at this. In, um, I wrote down a whole bunch of them. Let's see. Um, what counts? Paul is saying faith counts. It's all of faith. That's what counts. Matthew 7, the scariest verse in the Bible. Saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't matter. Prophesying in God's name doesn't matter. Casting out demons doesn't count. And doing mighty works doesn't count. Oh, boy. What counts? Faith counts. Job 4, maybe one of the scariest passages in the Old Testament. Get this picture, okay? Job 4, he's suffering, more loss than probably any of us will ever face. In our lives and as he's suffering at night in Job 4 verse 12 a word was brought to me stealthily you don't want to read this to your kids before you tuck them in my ear received the whisper of it mid thoughts from visions of the night Then deep sleep, when when deep sleep falls on man, dread came upon me and trembling, which made my bones shake. What was it? What was it? Spirit, it says in verse 5, glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. I mean, that sounds like Stephen King, doesn't it? I mean, uh, uh, it stood still but I couldn't discern its appearance. The form was before my eyes. There was silence. And then I heard a voice. Here's the voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? You read the rest of that chapter. I mean, he, this voice, this spirit, gives all sorts of reasons why Job should not believe that he'll be okay. What counts? What counts for a person who believes in God is different than for a person who doesn't believe in God. For a person who believes in a God that exists and a God that is moral and the God who is not silent, but has expressed himself. What counts for a believer is, am I gonna be right? with him at the end of the day some may ask have i done enough well i've done this i've done that i you know we've known people that have passed away in the midst of rebellion and we've wondered where uh, d- d- does it count what they said they believed it's a uh, it's a question uh luke 10 the lawyer Clayton Baker he goes to Jesus and he says what shall I do to inherit eternal life right it's the lawyer it's great the lawyer I, I, think, I think like a lawyer what shall I do to inherit eternal life now if I would have answered I said well if you can't inherit anything until you die you know you got to become a member of the family uh, what do I do to inherit eternal life Jesus says to him the greatest commandment you know the commandments of the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and a second is like it Love your neighbor as yourself. Do these things and you will live. And he says, I've done it. All this I have done. Oh, just a second. Now, who's my neighbor? Right? Who's my neighbor? And then you know what follows is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? He goes, now, who is a neighbor? And the lawyer's like, dang it. I guess all that doesn't count. Uh, a few chapters later, it's the rich young ruler, right? Good teacher. Same Same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what counts? What's the most important thing? They're talking about eternal life, right? They're saying before a holy God, at the judgment time of God, eternal life, being entered into glory, being in heaven with Him. What counts? And then Jesus starts with the Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting. He, Jesus goes with just the second tablet. Right, the first tablet we said is is man's duty towards God: no other gods, the Sabbath, no idols, his name and his day. The second tablet uh, are sins against other people: do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. But he doesn't even list all of those. He leaves out covet. The ruler says, these four out of six, (laughs) all these I've kept. And Jesus says, okay, if you want it to count, you really there's only one thing you lack. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And it says, and the man was sad because he had great wealth. And then we get the text, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. You read those texts and you've got to ask yourself, what counts? And you know, I talk about this all the time. What counts before our God? And so that question, brothers and sisters, has to be settled in our hearts before we get to Romans 5. And so that's what he does. He brings all of that into conclusion here in chapter 4, verses 23, 24, and 25. Here is what he is going to do. He is going to, uh, rather than giving us the marks of faith, right, the external appearances of faith, that we saw in Abraham, he's back actually saying, what did Abraham actually have to believe concerning God for him to live such a life? Right? So uh, we've got our forms to nominate officers in our church. We'll read those, we'll read the requirements, hopefully, before you nominate someone and say, uh, Does this, is this what I see in this person? But even that, it really is we're, we're saying, what do I, what, what's the external attributes of this person? person that confirm in me what they believe in their hearts. Right? And and the problem is we all fake it. Right? We we all just fake it. Right? How many times is a mom just wearing her kid out and the phone rings, hi. Oh, it's great. Right? We fake it. What counts? So the apostle is saying, uh, before, even all the words I've said, before you look at Abraham and say, he did this, this, and this, and that's why he was justified. He says, no, this this is the core. Luther says "Er er everything in Christianity can kind of be summed up and come out of this, um, this text. And I I think in your notes I put... Um, I don't know if I left it in there or not, but does it, do I have in your intro, this verse was just for me? No. I took it out because David said I was sounding, oh, it's in. Tammy's looking at the wrong notes. Ever ever have anybody say that to you? You ever said that to me? God put this verse in the Bible just for me? And if I'm a nice, sweet Pastor Mark, I'm like, oh yeah, he did. If I'm honest, kind of condescending Dutch Reformed Pastor Mark, I'm like, no, he didn't. he put it in there surely it is for you but it is not just for you and that's what this text starts with he says the words and isn't it beautiful this is why you and I with confidence can read the scriptures the words it was counted to him as righteousness Oh, people, those words that God uttered, those words that were written down, they're not just for Abraham. They're for you. And in that same manner that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, that same God will treat you that same way. He believed and it was counted to him. And so we have to flesh that out. Why do we have to flesh that out? Because it's not enough just to say, I believe in God. It's really what follows that that defines it, isn't it? I believe in God, or I believe in a God. Just not the one that you believe in. Just not that old one, just the, the new, friendly, cool, hip one. I believe in a God who this... I believe in a God who that. And so even at this time, the apostle is saying, we believe in God, and it is the God, the only God, and this is what he has done. I put my faith in God the Father who has done this. And um, if you do come to Soup and Sermon, you'll probably hear me say something like this. Um, it's a common thing for one of our members uh, of the Grove Ministry Alliance to say, the great thing about the Grove Ministry Alliance is we leave our theology at the door. And everybody's like, yes, that's awesome. And I'm like, no, I can't leave my theology at the door and you don't either. So I'm probably gonna bust his chops in good, good, you know, winsome way. Uh, because he said it again the other day, like we leave our theology at the door, And then he gave this uh, Trinitarian theology about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and called us to repent and trust and believe. That's theology, right? It's so important. Um, and for some reason, it, it, people can tend to think, "Oh, thats just it's so divisive. It's not divisive. It's the thing. That brings all races, creeds together. It's the thing that reconciles man to God and man to man. Anyway, uh, that verse wasn't put in there for you. It was put in there for all of us. And so the apostle is saying, uh, know this, when you read God's word, it's for you. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians when he's giving warnings in chapter 10, in 1 Corinthians, right? He's talking about their warnings, their wanderings. You know, they'd seen all these things, and yet they wandered. And he goes, Just remember, just remember, Corinthians, in all your sin and your rebellion and your divisiveness, remember, those things weren't just written for them, they're written for you in Corinth. That same God who dealt with them is the same God you will deal with. So, uh, these words written. For us, what counts? Faith counts, and it's it for us who believe. So, uh, faith in faith, saving faith starts with God the Father—a belief in God the Father, in His existence, and uh, His—he uh, he, he exists, as Francis Schaeffer says, and He is not silent. Um, We believe in the God of Abraham, and we can be counted righteous in that same manner. Uh, I want to break down the three parts of this uh, quickly in verse 24. We believe in God the Father. Salvation starts with God the Father. He is the God um, who we have wronged. And the God who stands as judge over all of humanity, it starts with Him. And our text tells us it'll be counted for you as righteousness if you believe in this bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. What counts? Believing and trusting in the work of god's son and our savior jesus christ verse 24 you call yourself a christian what matters most is does god call you a christian you can take all manner of labels upon yourself but does god call you a christian it's interesting um francis Schaefer in his book the finished work of christ uh it's a great devotional book on the first eight chapters of romans he tells a story of Labrie in Scotland. And Labrie in Scotland was really for disgruntled Christians or people who had struggled with the faith, um, people who had despair. They would come and they'd work in his little gardens and then they'd have discussions and meals at night. And he talks about a young man that came that was really uh, doubting. He was doubting his salvation. And his friends had told him, uh, they had presented to him uh, Pascal's wager. Anybody other than Uriah and Scotty know Pascal's wager? Uh, Pascal, David, you know Pascal's wager? Okay, good, good. We all have to know Pascal's wager. That's not one of the necessary tools for salvation, though, so rest assured. Pascal's wager basically was this. Um, You may as well believe in God, because if it's true, you're saved from hell. And if it's not true, you really don't lose much. That's kind of a, a summary, Pascal's wager. And, uh, and so this guy comes to Labrie. He's like, well, I guess I believe in God. And, and uh, Francis Schaeffer responds, well, it's kind of like like I've got this lucky rabbit's foot. You know, I'm going to hold on to this thing. Um, it doesn't carry any weight. It doesn't mean anything to me, uh, but I'm going to say it. You know, and we talked about that here before. That some people look at baptism. I was baptized, and so that has secured it for me. But for the believer, it's a belief in these very things now I want to warn you um, that when I go over these three things you may struggle with it alright and um, it, it may, there may be things you just haven't thought about or you've said yes to in the different creeds and songs um, and, and so you may, you may leave here, you may even spend this week just like do I really believe this you, you may actually have some struggle and turmoil this week. Like, How, how do I know if I really believe this? And, and, and I, I want to encourage you, if that, if that is where you are this week when we talk about these three things, that the, the life of faith is the person getting on their knees, and I would even suggest it physically, on your knees and saying, Lord, the scriptures speak clearly to these things. And I'm struggling to believe them. Holy Spirit, cleanse my mind. Um, these three things aren't really new probably to anybody, but the first is this bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in God. He's saying Abraham believed in God. If you remember the last couple of weeks, it was the, the God who calls things out of nothing and creates The God who brings life and gives life, right? So the apostle is saying, when Abraham believed that God would give Sarah a son, though in that current vernacular, her womb was a coffin is what they called it. (laughs) And he was as good as dead because he was a hundred, right? What enabled him to believe it? The God who makes life out of nothing. The God who brings back from the dead. That enabled him to believe it. It's why one of the many reasons we could spend weeks on just why this bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is so vital. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ—Jesus has a glorified body right now. He is not existing in some ethereal, you know, the ether up there, right? That's not. That's he, he. He has a body. He ate fish, he said, "Feel my hands." Right? We, so many Christians are like these, we're, we're, these, we're like these practical gnostics, gnostics that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good, and the body's going to be burned, and we're going to live as spirit children up there, walking between walls and doors and you know all part in this big ooze together. No, we're going to be on a new heaven and a new earth. Will there be animals? Absolutely, that's not part of this doctrine. But our creative God, who loves beauty, who puts a, His finger on the things He creates, that fallen man worship those things instead of the Creator because they have some semblance, some some little uh, signature of God. 1 Corinthians, the apostle says, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, our teaching is false. And your faith is futile. We believe in the bodily resurrection. And because of that, we believe Jesus is Lord. That's what our text says. Jesus, our Lord. Not just a Savior, not just a Son, but our Lord. He rules. Hebrews claims, Hebrews claims Him as a perfect priest, the mediator, the perfect prophet. Resurrection confirms His place Forever. Secondly, we believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, we believe in this, in, in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Think of the substitutionary atonement in this negative aspect. The text tells us, and, and, and these words are so full of meaning, who, this is Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses was delivered up for our trespasses Um, again you hear me say this all the time I hate hate the gospel being presented as plan B it's not plan B it's not some failure it's not God scrambling to save people because uh, Jesus wasn't as convincing as we thought he would be Um, he was delivered up who delivered him up God delivered him up think of it in this sense you're standing, in the, you're standing at the bench in the courtroom in heaven. And you're standing there, just as the text says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're standing there, and the Father says, the punishment you deserve, I, I am sending my Son. I am delivering Him up. Peter uh, emphasizes this point on the day of Pentecost. He's like, "You, you delivered him up, but it wasn't you. God had intended him to be the lamb that takes the sin of the world upon his shoulders. To believe in God is to believe that the resurrected Son of God was delivered up by God to substitute for us in God's wrath. What counts? Believing in God. But absolutely, believing in the God of the Bible who <laughs> resurrected his son from the dead, proving that he had power over life and death proving by the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it indeed was finished. When Jesus said it's finished, the resurrection proves that it is finished for the Son, for the Father, and for the Spirit. He doesn't go back to suffer when we sin. It was sufficient. It was complete. His work was done. He was delivered up for our trespasses. God loves us. God loves us. That, that, that picture has to be foundational again before we think of how I'm going to serve and what I'm going to do, how am I going to treat people. God loves us. We stood condemned. There was no excuse. We couldn't blame our parents, couldn't blame the culture, couldn't blame our gender, couldn't blame the Republicans or the Democrats. Couldn't blame, we, we couldn't blame anybody. We were at the bar. And, and of our own volition. We are at the bar saying, "I deserve the wrath and the curse of God." Not only have I broken your laws, I've broken my own laws. And God says, "I, I, I will deliver my son in your place." We got some rich friends in Tupelo. I got rich friends everywhere. I also have some poor friends. Try not to tell stories about the poor friends. But there's. There's one of the boys and I are in the shop and in walks this lady and um, you know the boys start chatting her up, you know, nice, you know, attractive, fun high school boys, you know, chatting Mrs. So-and-so up, talking to him, talking to him. We get at the counter and she bought all their shoes, you know. <laughs> I'm like, boys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that ain't right. Like dad, we didn't ask her to right at, the, at at the counter how much more so does our god love us thirdly we believe in this uh, ascension or uh the text the, the the resurrection of our lord um let me go back to that verse delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I put the word ascension in your notes. It really is more than what we would say the ascension is. Uh, being raised for our justification uh, means, as we picture this, that, that ongoing in the courtroom of God is our Lord and Savior. Ongoing every day, every moment of every day. He is not now just pointing to his sacrifice He's not pointing just to the negative side. I paid for his sins. But he's also pointing to his active righteousness. He not only suffered for our sins, but he also lived to earn the favor of God. And and so that's what we believe concerning our God. Believing in that and resting in that... (laughs) you'll be counted as righteous. That's what counts. You know, I often tell uh, couples to not be unequally yoked. Not that you can't love somebody that's of a different faith or no faith. entirely plausible and possible to love people that are not Christians. But at the ultimate end of what counts, without the Spirit of God dwelling in you and without without you humbling yourself to this faith, what counts is going to be different for two people. And you might agree what counts as being a good person or what counts as this moral thing here or what counts as being a good mom or a good dad. But, but until you get at the very root of the heart, what counts is the gospel. What counts is being justified by him who justifies sinners by the blood of his own son. That's what counts. Honey, we'll lose everything in life, but we won't lose that. We'll give up every other title, every other trinket. We can't lose that. What counts? My trust and faith in God who did these things. Um, Hebrews four talks about the, 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 the way that Jesus opened up, and it's beautiful. He opened a new and living way to the holy place by His own blood. Um, and, and so the imagery there, um, I mean, Im- imagine if, if, if this table, for instance, was enclosed in a tent, okay? Uh, and uh, we all came, and we heard the words of the law read to us, and uh then uh mark comes down after after sacrificing a bull for his sins in front of everybody so that everyone knows uh, that the priest is not walking in of his own accord right so the author of hebrews draws us back to that in chapter 4 and and says uh that's what jesus did why did he do it Because he said because it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer being sprinkled on defiled persons. It was impossible for that to cleanse forever. So Jesus did it. Now, what he's pointing to for us is is he would come in, and do you know, you probably know this, but he wore bells on his robe. You know why he wore bells on his robe? Because Aaron would walk in there, curtain would close, everybody sit out here like, He would take blood of the sacrificial lamb and he would take a hyssop branch and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Representing God's presence with his people, the law, the manna, the the rod, uh, he would sprinkle this blood on there. right? I mean, so much significance, right? The sprinkling of blood, the Passover lamb, the sprinkling over the doorposts. These people, what counts? The blood of Christ counts. He would wear bells on his robe because if it wasn't accepted, he would be struck dead, right? They had that story before them of when the, when the ox tumbled and the person touches it, right? So he wore bells on there so you could hear he was still walking around. Whew. It's accepted. God has accepted the sacrifice and he can come back out. And so in your notes, I, I put in conclusion, do you hear the bells? And I want that to be, as you work through these things this week, I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean for me? What does it mean for my own body, for my own life, for my own hope? Um, do, do I believe uh, that He was delivered up for my justification? And the moment this week when you realize that, that you're not believing that in the sense that you're having to justify your behavior... Your response, your sin, your lack of following the law of God, you're trying to justify yourself. Do I believe that He was delivered up for me? And do I believe that He was raised up for my glorification? He was raised up for my sanctification. That He was raised up and I'm raised up with Him in the heavenly places. Hear the bell. Let's ask the Spirit, the Lord, not audibly, of course, but just spiritually. The bell rings because Christ is sufficient. I am not going into the holy place of God. I'm not going to pray to Him. I'm not going to ask of Him on my own accord. I'm going into the holy place of God because I'm in Christ. And His sacrifice was sufficient. And His life has earned the favor of God. And I am in Him. Let's pray. Father, may this truth permeate all others. Father, I pray You would just bless Your people this week with conversations. Maybe times with You, Father, just meditating and, and writing even in a journal. Oh God, here are all the things that I have placed in my life that I think count more than being justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Holy Spirit, in your gentle and kind way, will you point out all the ways that we want to offer up things that will not suffice? May we hear the bell of our great high priest, he is living and active even now may we rest in the fact that he is interceding for his beloved May we trust these things and may it father work so deep into our lives our hearts and our affections that our lives are marked by acts of faith pray this in jesus name and for his sake amen